ads that have been run against Republican candidates in Connecticut by other Republicans are worse than ads run by Democrats in a lot of cases. Right. So, you know, I mean, we're we're our own worst enemy. And that that's a lot. It's, It's a hard thing to charge into. You have to really want it to be willing to do it. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Welcome to today's episode of Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, the Political Contessa, and I'm so excited to have with me today Liz Karentowitz from Connecticut. Liz is the principal of the Jury Group, a full-service national political public affairs firm headquartered in Connecticut. Liz is a professional strategist with over 15 years of experience, reaching at all levels of government, politics, nonprofit, and corporate public affairs. Liz and I got to meet many years ago when she was working in the Connecticut GOP office as the executive director, and I was the chair of the Mass GOP. And because our states are so Royal Navy, deep, dark blue, we became quick friends and started to share a lot of best practices and worst nightmares. (laughs) Mostly nightmares. (laughs) Mostly nightmares. Liz's work includes a career of fundraising, campaign management, and cause-related strategy and development for organizations, large and small, touching all the states. As a result of all of her work and expertise, Liz has served as a political analyst for many TV, radio, and print and digital medias, both locally in Connecticut and outside outlets around the country. So Liz is basically the carbon copy of me, only thinks she is a lot younger than I am, so. (laughs) I would love to be your carbon copy. How about that? And I wore deep blue for you today. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to show our colors, right? That's right, yep. So, you know, I always do this thing where it's like women who live or, or anyone who is in the business that we're in, when you're in the coastal areas, right, whether you're West Coast or East Coast, you kind of suffer the same fate. And sometimes you have great luck, like Nassau County, New York did, or Virginia did, and you can flip and go red, which you just, you know, bite your tongue and lip and, you know, hold your breath and hope that you don't lose it. Or you're like us, right, where we see dwindling numbers in our House and Senate and, it's a struggle to one, get Republicans to run. Two, I think you have the same thing in Connecticut as I have here in Massachusetts. It's like, you don't want it to be the party of the Star Wars bar, 
<laughs> like you don't want that scene. So yes, we can get Republicans to run, but it's also a matter of making sure that we get the right ones to run. And ideally for us in this world, where we still know that the numbers, you know, even though there was the great sweeps in in the 1990s and then in 2018, and then again, well, you know, 10, more yeah. recently, right? So over 26, 28 year period, we're still at 26% of legislatures are women in the 20s in most local offices, mayors around the country, city councils, you know, with some exceptions and, and Congress is still, you know, in the twenties. So Liz, how do we solve this issue? Well, it's a couple things, right? I mean, I think, first of all, you know, like you talked about some of this stuff evades us, right? You know, it's not that we can't win. I mean, look what you guys did with Scott Brown and in, in that special election, right? I mean, you know, we've had, you got Charlie Baker, we elect Republicans in the Northeast and, you know, they're, we're not all the same, which is why our party is a much bigger tent party, I think, than, than the Democrats. I think most of the time, what has stopped Connecticut Republicans from succeeding in the same way, frankly, that you did in Massachusetts with a Senate race and then a governor's race, is too often we get mired down in these really divisive, bitter primaries. And so whenever you have that situation, you know, generally speaking, somebody's got to run to the right to appeal to the base, to win that convention, to win that primary, and too often running to any side, right? Either the progressive side or the, or the far right side is, is not where most voters, at least not most voters in Connecticut sit, right? I mean, you know, common sense, middle of the world, old, you know, New England, you know, Yankees who want peop- the government out of their business, but want, when the government gets involved, they want government to do the right thing. So to me, I think having those primaries is really hard. And then on top of that, anytime the national dialogue is, you know, in whether when you're in a midterm election or in a presidential election, it's hard for Republicans and has been because so much of the national dialogue creates this narrative around Republicans that, you know, it's we're like other than all the same. Right. And, and likewise, Democrats, but you know, it's far more boogeyman here in the Northeast. And so, you know, I think recruiting good candidates, recruit is a verb for a reason. You know, you have to get out there. You have to find people, you know, who have a willingness to serve people who, and it's really hard, I think, to recruit women. Because I, my experience is we tend to be our own worst enemy. Yeah, right? definitely. Um, we kind of think everything through to the, you know, conclusion and then the conclusion's conclusion and then the conclusion after that and maybe what happens, you know, until the end of time, right? At least speaking for myself. So I think that oftentimes there's, we create these like barriers to entry and look, it is really hard to be a woman candidate. It's hard to be a woman operative. This is not an easy business, but I I hope things are anyway, at least a little bit easier than they were you know, back when we started and certainly easier than, you know, when you had the first women really running for Congress and running for governor. I mean, I, you know, I'm very lucky to have worked for some really incredible women in my career, worked with some really incredible women in my career, you especially, and there's not enough of us. So 
And there are enough that hang around, right? I mean, there aren't enough that hang around after they are either in office or they run for office. It's hard to keep them engaged and keep them as advisors and the support that we need to encourage other women. Yeah, this is a hard business, right? I mean, there's no breaks. It's hard on you know, your psyche, it's hard on your family. It's, it's a lot, particularly on the operative side, I think, because there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people who think women in this business should just be doing fundraising. And, and I guess a little bit of communications every now and then, but, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I hear people dismiss me, you know, oh, you're just a fundraiser. We'll see about that. <laughs> it, you know, you know <laughs> it's like underestimate it's, me to your own peril, right? <laughs> right. I mean, well, it's like being a lawyer, right? And and walking in as a young lawyer and someone thinking you're the paralegal or that you're the law secretary, right? And not right. the actual yeah. attorney. I mean, and it's unfortunate that that happens because, you know, especially, well, you know, I think that there are two different tracks that a lot of us go on. And some of us also are operatives and then run for office and, you know, have that under our belt and then have even more knowledge to give, I think, you know, being an operative and, and knowing what it's like to actually be on a campaign, right? It's one thing, and you and I both know a couple of the same so-called strategists, right? right. Yeah. As I do my air quotes and who have never actually worked on a campaign, like got in their fingernails dirty and, and, you know, give the advice and collect the paycheck, but they're nowhere to be found when it comes to the actual grunt work. Whereas, especially, you know, one working on campaigns two being in the political office, right. Being in the chairman's office of a state party is also a very different animal. And having the relationships with the candidates at all levels, not just the high level ones that you think that you can, you know, get money off of, but I mean, even the low level ones to build a bench and to build those relationships and to get people interested in running where they don't even have a party designation, I think is really important to, because that's where we're fostering those people. So, I mean, I think there are so many problems that we face, right? So number one, it's the recruiting women. How do we even get them? Because a woman needs to be asked 10 times before she's comfortable to even run because of all the things that you said, right? Overthinking everything. What if, what if, what if, what if? And then, you know, so it takes that much longer. I think the other thing, and I I see this just with kind of my age group is you, there are women who are elected to office and their kids are really little, either no kids or really young kids, or they wait until the other end of their life after their kids are out of the house. But it is not (laughs) really common to see a woman running for the first time with teenagers. And I mean, I could understand why I've got even elementary, right? I mean, even elementary, because they're running all over your, you know, you run an Uber service and you do the Mm -hmm. best you can with working and and especially in in politics the one thing that's a wonderful part of being in this business is the flexibility right because you can be connecting with people at 11 o'clock at night you can be connecting with people at seven o'clock in the morning i feel like when i talk to candidates it doesn't there is no time because it's a 24-hour work day right (laughs) exactly because it's a 24-hour work work day and so you just kind of work whenever yeah you know, there are then, no breaks, no, no, days no. Off, as, as Bill Belichick says, no, as I was having calls this weekend and I'm thinking, you know, 
can have phone calls on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, it's seven o'clock on a Sunday night is kind of like the norm, right? I'd rather talk to you on Sunday before the week starts than talk to you on Monday after the shit hits the fan. (laughs) It's an imposition. So I'm a mom. I've got two young kids, six and eight, and it's all they've known because it's all I've done, right? From a career perspective, I'm a political hack. And so it is a lot on your family, whether you're on the operative side or you're a candidate. And, and, you know, it's, it is, it's a big barrier to entry on both sides. And I think a lot of women get out of the operative side. Frankly, I mean, (laughs) there are a lot of opportunities lost because of people assuming things about what you're capable of doing. If you have children, I can tell you, I've lost, you know, several really good opportunities because people just openly assumed that because I had children, I would not be willing to do X, Y, or Z, never giving me an opportunity to refute that or, you know, to show historically why that wasn't true. There's these built-in, you know, presuppositions about what we're capable of. And so, you know, that is a constant struggle. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've had people say, oh, is your husband okay with you doing this? that still happens and it's offensive and it shouldn't happen. Um, and you know, we have to just keep pushing ahead so that it doesn't happen for the people that come behind us. That's how I look at it. I I never want somebody to say my daughter, you know, does your wife or your husband approve of you doing this or, you know, well, you have kids, so you must not be able to do this out or the other thing. So sort of pigheaded and stubborn by nature. (laughs) So that in and of itself is why I'm still doing this. Right. I mean, I'm, nobody's going to tell me otherwise. Right. But it is, it's hard and it's hard on the operative side, I think, because being a candidate, (laughs) the luxury of kind of dictating what it is, you are the brand, it's your organization. There's a lot of ownership in being a candidate that frankly doesn't exist in the operative space. Certainly being a candidate comes with a lot of drawbacks, right? I mean, there's that very public piece where people are nasty on social media and they feel like everyone feels empowered to say whatever's on their mind. And it's almost never nice, right? Uh, Don't read the comments section. Don't read Twitter replies, you know, but it's, you know, both are equally hard. And so retaining good women operatives is hard because so few opportunities, so many opportunities slip through our fingers. We don't even know it. Or, you know, on the candidate side, it's a big hurdle to climb because there is an imposition on your family. There is a lot of, you know, time away, but but you have so much to offer, right? Which is what I always say, you know, we need more people with that experience, right? I mean, the government is supposed to be doing things to help people in every life situation. And if we don't have working moms and we don't have, you know, average families, you know, represented, then they're going to get left behind. And frankly, that's happening here in Connecticut and it's happening in Congress. Right. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for just trying to ease those burdens, but as a society, we need to do a better job. People are horrible. And, and, and that's a big reason why I think a lot of women in particular don't want to put their families through that. They don't want, you know, people going through their, their kids stuff or, you know, I mean, people are, this is a terrible business <laughs> and it's not fair, you know, and it's guilt on both sides, all sides. Right. I mean, right. Like I said, you know, these primaries are nasty. 
ads that have been run against Republican candidates in Connecticut by other Republicans are worse than ads run by Democrats in a lot of cases. Right. So, you know, I mean, we're we are our own worst enemy. And that that's a lot. It's, it's a hard thing to charge into. You have to really want it to be willing to do it. You hit on so many good things. So let's go back to I mean, I think everything in life and every career that every career. Right. And and you can look at this on the on the covid, you know, remote work type thing. Right. Sure, yeah. Maybe there's a segment of workers that want to stay at home because they have little babies and it's their first time being a parent and they think it's great to stay at home. But those of us that have older kids know that it's really wonderful to work outside the house because you need a break and you need to get away from everything. And that's the only time you actually get hot coffee, but you know, whatever. So, so that's why I just drink iced coffee. It never, right? it never goes it's like, cold. it's cold yeah. anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, you have young new workers in their twenties that want to go to work because it's a social network and it's, it's a business network and you need the people in their forties and fifties to show up at that workplace to teach the young workers in their twenties. Right. And so you see it there, you see it in politics where all of a sudden there's a void. And so you need one group of people to help the other group of people. And so I think, you know, in the, in the work that we do, especially in encouraging more women to run for office It's in our best interest as political parties. And by the way, this is not specific to the Republican Party. This happens on the Democratic side all the time, where you have an overload of men that are the strategists and are the operatives and bill themselves as the campaign experts. And then you don't have enough women. And the couple of women you do, you know, have just been hardened and, you know, are not really in touch with the everyday anymore because, you know, you get to that point. So, you know, it's a problem on both sides of the aisle. It's funny you say that because one of my dearest friends and I met, she was working for a Democrat and I was working at the Republican party, but our life trajectory sort of happened simultaneously. And we're, we're sort of kindred spirits in that way because we're two of just a few women operatives in our state. And so we're kind of, you know, became kindred spirits. And it was one of those relationships. Our friendship has always sort of like made people do a double take. <laughs> We've been on the opposite sides of so many different political battles. And because this is Connecticut, she's won almost every one of them, actually. I have a friend just like that in Massachusetts. It's the same thing. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, you know, the battles that you're in and you don't like the people that they work for. But at the same time, you have so much respect for the person because you're going through the same thing. And that's really the only other person who could understand what it's like and how you get treated and how you have to prove yourself that much more. Right. right? And you have to get out there and, and it's like, you know, experience matters for women in this business experience and, and your network actually matters. And unfortunately you are absolutely right. It is like, I feel like I continuously get pigeonholed into this being a fundraiser, you know, can you help me on fundraising? And, and I've actually had to start saying to people, I mean, you know, if like for us, we know this, right. But generally people don't know this about the limits in States and how, well, Connecticut has the funding, has the public funding in Massachusetts, someone in finance cannot give, and this is a regulatory law, law, I think, around the country, that someone in finance cannot give 
to a state political state level, campaign. Yeah, to play issue, yeah. So, you know, what happens is if you are in finance or if you have a spouse in finance, if you're connected somehow or another, you are limited. You cannot give to that state level campaign. And so I am consistently saying, look, I can do a whole bunch of other things, but fun. My, my group of friends are probably not the best to try to get money from because they're not in, they can do congressional, they just can't do the state level. But what here's what I can give you. I can pack a room with 50 or 100 people and introduce you to the movers and shakers and the people who are going to tell, you know, it's like those old, those old shampoo commercials, you know, tell another person, another person, another person. But again, because I'm a woman, I feel like I get stuck into the, hey, do you want to be the finance chair, the fundraising consultant, the fun? And I'm thinking, yeah. can I do anything else? But I mean, I can drive your, I can drive your messaging. Great. But why why is it that we get stuck in that? You know, it's, I don't know. It, look, I, I work and all of my experience in this business has always had a fundraising component to it. And, and frankly, it should, right? I mean, you know, this is sales, right? And I started my first job working for the last Republican governor in Connecticut, Jody Rell. I was her finance director. And so that experience, it just lives with me. Right. And it, and it was great. And it was such a strong foundation in, in politics, because you have to understand how the strategy works and what you're selling in order to go make, you know, raise the money, which is why my experience when we met, when I was working at the state Republican party was so good because I, I got a chance and my, my chairman, Chris Healy was, he didn't care about you know, any, any of those things. Oh, you, you know, you do a good job. You do a good job. You know, oh, you want to do all the things fine. You can do all the things, right? I mean, you know, you need bosses like men like that to be aggressive about empowering women. And, and I got to give it to Chris Healy. He, and you know, this empowers women, right? And it takes a strong personality to do that because, too often you kind of get pat on the head. Oh, don't, you know, go, go raise your money over there. Right. I mean, every fundraiser in every campaign and every cause and every organization is the backbone of the organization. Without that money, they don't, you, none of it goes. Right. And so this idea that like the fundraiser is just the fundraiser is never true because they, they hold the keys to the whole thing. And, and I, one of the things I've tried to do over the time in my career throughout is to make sure that any fundraiser that's on any project I'm working on has the biggest seat at the table. Because without that, whether that's a woman or a man, whoever they are, the reality is without that person, you don't sell anything. <laughs> so right? that, you know what, it's funny. So on my, on my campaign for city council, one of my friends is a fundraiser, but having her at that table, she was more of an operative yeah. than a fundraiser. And so interesting that the guys that are always on my team and from my mass GOP days and on and on, walked, when she walked out, they said, oh my God, she actually, like, she knows a lot, right? Because the fundraiser, if they're doing their job and they're doing a good job, is curating those lists and also paying attention to who knows what and right. how to connect the dots. And so it is a 
it's an important position that's not just, oh, stick her over there. It is right. an operative position yeah. that we should be teaching people, hey, look, this is kind of like, you're almost the deputy campaign manager, right? Because you're the person who knows where the money's coming from. And you know, even if the money can't come from that person, that person is connected to someone else. And if they're a voter, that's going to be helpful. How do we get to that person? Right. Right. And then, and so in that, in that process, it's about changing perceptions about roles and, and responsibilities and elevating, you know, this idea that someone is just a fundraiser is nonsense, right? I mean, if you are raising money, you are an integral part of every piece of that campaign. And I think what it does is it puts you in a position to be able to grow from there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of general consulting. I do a lot of strategic advising. I do a lot of public affairs and, and you know, issue advocacy and all of that stuff. And, you know, the background on fundraising makes it so much easier to do those things because you have to be able to understand what are you selling? Is it an idea? Is it a person? Is it a cause? Right? Is it a company? And so it really does come down to, you know, selling things, right? Like widgets is very different from selling ideas and policies and people. But having having that experience be a holistic one, you know, my goal is to open as many of those doors and not to pigeonhole. I think too many times, oh, you're, you know, you're a woman, you must be here to raise money. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. But I'll also, you know, make sure that when we're, you know, running the show, it runs effect- effectively and we're doing the right thing. Well, you know, what's interesting to me, too, is that if you look at finance committees of high-level elected officials, how many members of those finance committees are women? It's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's a rhetorical question, by the way. It's probably going to get me in a lot of trouble, (laughs) but women are too smart to give their money to political candidates, I guess. You know, the number of women that are are in those positions, you know, it's it's interesting. It's definitely an issue, right? I mean, recruiting women to be in those positions is is hard, but, and I haven't quite put my finger on why. And I don't know if because I I think it's an old boys network. It's just, you know, and, and I mean, I know, you know, for me personally, that I have actually had to start saying no to the guys who are on those finance committees or are doing, you know, the congressional fundraising because they're only, you know, supporting, other men who I'm not opposed to and, you know, men who I like, but I've had to start saying, you know what, if I'm going to do fundraising and I'm going to go ask friends for checks or to show up to a breakfast, I'm going to do it for the one I want to do it for, right? I'm going to find the woman who's running and I'm going to do it for her instead of giving it to you where I get no credit, you get all the credit. (laughs) And then... (laughs) It feels a little bit opposite of what, right? And so like, I've had to say no to some good friends because I've said, why am I giving like, so you look good. (laughs) And, and for me, I'm just the person who's helping you. And that's fine every once in a while. But when it gets to the point where years and years and years go down the line and you're thinking, hold on, I've got my own candidates. I've got my own interests. I've got my own people who I'd like to help around the country. I'd rather have you know, put my people together for that instead. 
But I find it so interesting because for so long, I would show up to meetings pre-COVID and always be the only woman. And I would yeah. walk into these rooms with these guys all the time and I would be the only woman. And anytime there was a member of Congress that was in the room, I would start out by saying the same thing to the point where the guys would just start rolling their eyes, knowing I was going to start it. And I would start like this. Hello, I'm Jennifer Nassor. I am the token woman because these guys <laughs> literally know no other woman in this business. <laughs> and it was like, they would just sit there and I'm like, I'm, I, you know what? I would be at risk of being uninvited if there was someone else, but there was no one else except for me. And so I'm like, I'm just going to make fun of this and the fact that we need more. But again, if you look at on the left, you know, here in Massachusetts, there's the Barbara Lee Foundation, and she's pretty much like the only show, right? And so you you don't, it's not like you have a plethora of women who are advocates and operatives right. and strategists and whatever. And I think that for us, right, it's kind of like having that diamond in the rough. You would want that woman because if you do want to make any changes, and that is, again, on both sides, not having the crazies, not having the same old, same old, and having new ideas, well, how are you going to get it? You're most likely going to get it. And, and just recently, a woman passed away in Massachusetts who had been a, a state senator and had been appointed in a secretary-level position here and, and died, unfortunately, on the younger side. And one of the comments that she had was, this is why we need more women elected to office. And it was a comment that she had said about 20 years ago. And, and she was saying it in relation to the fact that her and former Governor Jane Swift had this really close relationship. And Governor Swift, when she was a state senator, had helped on some legislation that this woman wanted to pass. And so I always think, well, you need a woman to foster some of those interesting thoughts and ideas and, and put different perspectives out there, right? Like if you, if you talk about gas, so I look at it like this. So I use my car, not just to drive my kid to school, but to soccer practices and to, you know, lifts and to trainings and to go to games and then to play dates on weekends and to go wherever it is. I'm always in my car, I'm always using my car and it's costing a lot of money for gas. I have a daughter who drives. She right. now has to fill up her car with gas. She said for her little car it costs $90 to fill up her car with gas two days ago. And so now those are real conversations. Those aren't fake. Those aren't, my driver drives me around and you know says every once in a while that it's expensive. Like that's an actual real thing. And I'm a single mom. And so it's putting food on the table. I went to go get four things from the grocery store the other day. It cost me $148. I was like, what the heck did I just buy that it cost me so much money? And so, but it's good to have a woman talking issues, right, to other women because every once in a while I get that Glenn Youngkin who actually understands. But I think it's so much better to have women who are helping other women and advising them and helping them with their messaging and helping them even in the fundraising process. So right. many women I talk to, it's like, here's how you should structure your conversation to make it more easy. And, and you're a natural networker. You've done the, whether you've done the bake sales and the Girl Scout cookie sales, or it's, 
your mom that you've helped with her Marjan club and, you know, selling raffle tickets or whatever, or doing a tag sale outside of your house. We have done this stuff over and over and over again. Right. And so it's important to have not just female candidates, but the women who are the campaign managers, who are their press secretaries, who are the fundraisers, who are kind of doing the whole, you know, here's who you need to know type thing. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think a part of it, to your point about recruitment and the importance of having women operatives, is that there has to be that it's sort of like an an empathetic outreach to be able to understand, have an open and free conversation without judgment, right, about the importance of family, about the impact on your kids. Because again, (laughs) I think we've all been, you know, trained or, you know, broken down over the years of you know, we're supposed to mother like we don't have jobs and we're supposed to work like we don't have a family. And that's very real. That is a very real thing. You know, you don't, and so you have to be able to talk to people in a sense of understanding that that's the expectation, right? And so it's so important to your point about having women operatives, particularly women with families who can understand that because when you're trying to recruit a candidate, There has to be some sort of understanding, you know, that what they're going to go through and a willingness to have those conversations, which I I think are very gender specific. You know, like I said, I mean, as a woman, you're supposed to be able to work like you don't have a family and be a mom like you don't have work. And and so it's it's one of those things where only we can kind of understand those conversations. You brought up something else I thought was really interesting, too, about talking about gas and inflation and all that kind of stuff, you know, I think too often, and this is true, again, this is a criticism of both parties for so long, you know, women issues are choice, right? Reproductive rights, you know, things that are very specific to women. And I think it's a complete slap in the face to not look at it holistically. You know, women happen to be able to understand a lot of very complex things and have those conversations and bring that perspective. And it's important to have diversity of perspective, you know, not just from a gender perspective, but also where do you come from? Do you live in the suburbs? Do you live in the city? Do you live in, you know, a rural area? Are you what, a small business owner and all that stuff? I mean, it all gets baked into the cake. And I think for a really long time, and still even today, <laughs> women are you know, pigeonhole, talk about education, choice, right? You know, some of those really narrow topics of being polarizing, no, narrow and polarizing. I mean, I think, you know, and that's, so one of the things I tell my candidates all the time is get away from that. Don't talk about it. Right. I mean, because there's no upside, regardless of how you feel, even if you say I'm gray, if you say I'm black, I'm white, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Right. You're always, someone's going to hate your answer, but instead, and I feel like it's so media driven that women aren't smart enough. Right. And whether it's media or, or from the male perspective, women aren't smart enough. And I'm saying Chuck Schumer says women aren't smart enough. This is all they care about. They only care about choice. Right. Right. Or, you know, rural women only care about being pro-life. And so we're going to go out on those limbs. Instead, 
How about the fact that we actually are paying attention, right? And I think especially after COVID, even more so, where now your kids aren't going to school and getting a meal a day at school. Now they're eating at home. Now you're feeding them a little bit more. You're going to the store a little bit more. There was literally nowhere to go during the whole lockdown thing, right? Except to go to Target, Walmart, <laughs> or your local grocery store. <clears throat> and now you're paying attention to how much more you're feeding them, how many more snacks they're having. You're thinking about their education, but you're also driving a lot more because now maybe they're not taking public transportation if you live near an urban area. Maybe you're, you know, the only thing to do was to go find a place for them to play outside so that way you don't have to be inside. And so, you know, I'm hoping, and I always said as, as you know, a, a Republican, the reason I was a Republican was because I believe in liberty and I believe in government not being involved in every aspect of my life, which includes my money. Get out of where I spend it. And the, and also after 2001, after September 11th, it was maybe we should be concerned about foreign policy. And I think that now what we see with Ukraine, even more so, right? I mean, could you, could, it doesn't matter, take, take whatever issue you want, take it from being a mom and seeing that a little girl in her unicorn pajamas was killed as a torpedo goes through her home, that these parents are taking their babies, holding them in their arms and running over the border with them. Or think about grandparents being stuck in basements where they can't see and they could barely breathe because that's the only place that they are. Or take it from a oil and gas perspective where we're still buying this stuff from Russia. And even though we had all these other sanctions, we're still funneling, you know, millions and millions of dollars to them instead of getting our own, right? Or take it from a perspective of, you know, Putin is crazy. And what if he blows up the nuclear reactor? Then what happens? What is the it doesn't know a border. It doesn't know that it's only supposed to stay in Ukraine. It comes out to all of us. And so maybe it's, it is time for women, right? And the media and other politicians to stop treating women as though they're dumb and they are only laser focused on the choice issue. And that there are so many other things that we are concerned with that have to deal with everyday life and what is going on around the world that is going to actually impact us and other people. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and I think too, it plays out in the conversation back to, you know, the operative side of just sort of being dismissive on, you know, strategic conversations. And, you know, I mean, I, it's funny, I, uh, over the years, I've really become obsessed with data uh, on the political side, not just because I find it fascinating and informative and a really critical piece of winning campaigns, but because I have always had to justify every single opinion I have, right, on a strategic level with research and data, right? Like, oh, that's a really nice idea, but, mm. you know. And so, you know, it's whether it's just analysis, an analysis of electoral history or, you know, voter data or opinion research or whatever it is, you know, it's sort of that you have to justify those opinions. And that's, you know, that that's something that I think it's it's funny sort of thinking about it now. I'm in a place in my career where how did I get here? <laughs> you know, definitely started with having to constantly, you know, justify an opinion about, you know, strategic decisions. And, you know, 
the data is always a good guide, but uh, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things you reflect on. Yeah. I mean, women just have to, we always have to work that much harder, yep. right? And, and, that's and politics true. is no different. And then that's true. I mean, talking to friends who work in other industries and do other things, you know, that is a thousand percent true. And it's, it's a horrible commentary. And I have, like I said, I have a little girl, I will be brokenhearted if, you know, 20 years from now, she's dealing with the same nonsense. I'll be more than brokenhearted. I'll be pissed, you know, right. and I'll be doing something about it. <laughs> right. Right. But that's um, why we do what we do. Right. We're, right. I mean, you know, I always think of the work that we do, you know, maybe it moves the needle and, and even if it just moves the needle a little bit, you're changing something for one person. And I always think, well, if that one person is actually three for my three girls, and I've made it a little bit easier for them in the world, whether it's my commentary, whether it's someone that I support, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, right? Giving them the strength and seeing that their mom is working and in this crazy business. And, you know, the days I say, maybe you shouldn't look at my Twitter feed, <laughs> which my daughter and her friends just recently did. And they said, well, that's really enlightening. <laughs> my kids aren't, old, aren't, aren't quite Googling me yet, but. Yeah. And then, you know, it's funny because I have a son and I, I see it just as important for him as for my daughter to, you know, to have that perspective that your gender or your color or your sexual orientation or any, any factor in your life is not, is not a mitigating factor that, you know, you are empowered to do things that, that you decide to do, right. Practice makes better is our, is our kind of motto here. And so, you know, you just got to keep at it, but none of those things, he's never going to look at someone and say, you can't do that because you're a girl. Not unless he's really trying to get under my skin, which is, definitely, <laughs> uh, you know, so that's an important piece. Like you said, you know, I mean, it's, it's, and, and having being an, and I think for you too, it certainly is chair, you know, the ripple effect. And, and like you mentioned, governor Swift, who's been a champion for women in leadership, my governor, Jody Rell, a champion for women in, in leadership positions and somebody who's always encouraged me and mentored me, we need to be those people because too often, and I think you'll agree with this, there are women who want to be the only woman in the room. Oh, yes. Thrive in that scenario <laughs> instead, of, instead of doing what you do, right? Which is to go try and find more women to pull together. Too often you end up in a scenario where, you know, there are women who are perfectly happy to be the only one there. Um, and that that's their, that's their secret sauce. That's their, you know, their special thing. And we need to, to, you know, to do away with that too, and be supportive of each other. I've had just as many women tell me I can't do something because I've got kids as I have had men. And so it's, you know, it's something we have to constantly overcome. You know, it's funny. That is my biggest pet peeve. And I think you and I have talked about it before is the woman who wants to be the only woman in the room and want, like, I never wanted to be, which is why I was, you know, joking with all the guys about it. Like where I want those other women here. And so, but there are women who think I should be the only elected official. I should be the only operative. There should be no other woman here. And that is so, I think that's so bad for regard again whatever political party you're in i think it's bad if you're in a law firm i think you're it's bad if you're in a medical practice i mean and and it is on us to encourage others to come into this business right and to also take a stand against you know and maybe we're beating up the guys i mean i've had this with 
you know, the women who want to be the yeah. only women. I've had this with women who have said to me, who don't have kids, who have said, will you have kids? I've had this conversation with women who have dogs and, you know, parents that they take care of and being like, you're in the same position as I am, right? I mean, like if you have a loved one at home that you're taking care of, it's the same exact thing as like, you can't blow them off for dinner and for meals and be gone days on end. And we need to be, you know, out there to say to those people who say you can't do it if you have anything else on your plate, this is not the world for you. That is our job, right? And that's why we right. do what we do is stand yeah. up against it and say, wait a second, that actually makes me better at what yes. I do right. because I'm more well-rounded. I have a, you know, a different perspective and I have other, other interests that make me see the world more globally, right? And give me that push to do this stuff. And so, you know, my hope is always that, you know, and that's what I say about Pocketbook Project. It's not just to get more people running for office. It's to get more women active in the process. Yes. And whether that's sitting on boards and commissions, whether that's being the campaign manager, a campaign operative, let's get more women out there. So that way we, that's the only way to change the culture. Yeah. And to your point, that's why I brought it up. It's not just, this isn't like a, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar. Like this is not a male female problem. And there are just as many women who I, you know, have the same approach, right? I mean, you know, there's, it's not, this is a societal problem, not a a gender problem. In fact, I think sometimes men are more concerned about looking that way than women are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, sometimes women are just basically like, uh, you know, suck it up, you know, kind of a thing and willing to take some of that guff far more than I am right and the idea that I would stand up for myself you know is is so foreign foreign to them and they don't you know so it's definitely not a male female problem no and like you had Chris who I adore and think is a fabulous guy and so willing to help women I also had a fabulous boss that I worked for in New York for four years while I was in law school and couldn't have been more supportive of me throughout my entire career. And so, you know, need those guys <laughs> too, right? Who, yep. who are out there and being supportive of women in every single aspect. So, yeah. And not this, to make this, not to make this so much about, about the Healy piece, but you know, and, and at the time I was taking care of my dad almost full time and my dad was sick with cancer. So I'm executive director of the party, doing the fundraising, doing the comms. I'm a woman, right? He's recruiting tons of women and he's empowering me to take care of my dad all at the same time. Like those men, those people do exist. And we need more Chris Healy's, which is, you know, from my life perspective, want to continually be the person who cheerleads those people and does what he did for me and, and for others. So Absolutely. And maybe then we could actually really change right. the conversations, which would be yeah. nice. It was, be. we could talk all day as we, we literally do usually do. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much more. So you're going to have to come back so we can talk more about this, especially as this election year continues to heat up and we see what's going on on the national level. We somehow miraculously just came out of COVID that has now gone away doesn't exist anymore. And now we are teetering on World War III, hopefully not. 
And so I think there's so much more that we can talk about in our world. And I just wanted to thank you so much for being on with me thank today. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you so much. And, and as you said, we could talk all day. In fact, we do. And you know, this was great. I appreciate it. And you can find Liz on Connecticut, local Connecticut TVs. Go check her out. Find her on LinkedIn. Google her and check her <laughs> out on the Pockbook Project website. <laughs> Don't believe everything you read on Google. (laughs) (laughs) If you need a fabulous operative, you know where to find her. It was really my pleasure to know you, Liz, and to have seen you over the last, you know, 12 years grow and, and to be in the same space as you. So super exciting. The privilege is mine. Thank you so much. Liz, thanks for being with me and we will talk again soon. Thanks for listening to Political Contessa. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Contessa.com.